0: We need a break from political and pandemic news, important as they are in our lives, both personally and publicly. We need to go inside to that interior place many people avoid by work and pursuit of relief from it in entertainment and social media. There's a unique book out that helps us take that deep dive. Bishop Olmsted calls it a solid and practical resource for growing in self-knowledge and forging virtues that can change us and then the world. Sounds like Buzz Lightyear, right? To infinity and beyond. One of the authors is here to help us start the journey. Dr. Ryan He's taught undergraduates, graduates, and businessmen and women classical philosophy and historical theology for the past 15 years. He's worked with international apostolates and ministries as well as universities to develop programs that form both the heart and mind. He currently teaches at the University of Mary and assists the Catechetical Institute at Franciscan University of Steubenville. He's co-author of The Willpower Advantage, Building Habits for Lasting Happiness, which we need to work on now. Professor Hanning, thanks for being here today and thanks for your work and the help you provide people in this new book, among other ways. Thank you for being here.
1: Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. Great to be with you.
0: So, Professor Hanning, people lose sight of the power of free will, especially these days. Is it, it must be so key that you start with that as the title of the book, right? Yeah,
1: absolutely. You know, it's, it's amazing. Um, Over all my years of teaching, I think that we've, you know, needed in some ways reclaim uh the goodness of the willpower from from sort of maybe either an over-sexualization on the one hand or an over-spiritualization on the other right it really is Mm. our, our will that makes us in many ways most like god right we're made in god's image and likeness and our ability to choose what is good beautiful and true to choose those things that will actually lead to lasting happiness starts right there in our will so uh you know that title is actually uh came up in, in, in Tom Peterson's prayer, the co-author of the book, and he said, you know, we want, to, we want to reclaim the notion that God doesn't want a strong will or a weak will. God wants a good will, and he's created each of us um, to develop our will so that we can, you know, truly seek after those things that are much more meaningful in our lives. And man, after the last few weeks, I feel like uh, we yeah. timed this book perfectly.
0: I was going to ask you that, actually. That was when I was going through this uh, front to back, in the middle, jumping around, flagging pages, highlighting. I thought, you know, with almost a smile on my face, I thought, let me go back and look at again at the, at the copyright date or the date of publishing because I know it just came out. But uh, as as over all these years that I've been doing this, Ryan, I, it's amazing to me how often and a, and a really well-known author will come out with a book that they've worked on for a very long time, if not I mean, a full year, maybe more than that, maybe multi-years. And then when it does come out, it amazingly, providentially coincides with something very big in our culture, in our church, in our politics, and in our world. And that seems to be, the more I read your book, that seems to me the timing of this book right now, after this 2020 election.
1: Yeah, you know, we, we always say that God has never outdone his generosity or his creativity. And, <laughs> you know, we finished this book actually before the pandemic. And um, it was even delayed uh, by a little bit for publication. So the fact that it came out, you know, uh, in late October, uh, we, we don't think is just coincidental. We really see it as a conspiracy of grace. And, you know, we've trusted in the Lord the whole process. And, and now it, <laughs> it seems like it's paid off because the feedback we get from a lot of people is that, you know, right now is really a time of deep introspection. People are asking, you know, uh, what's wrong with the world? And we can answer it in the same way. GK Chesterton did all those years ago, right? And the, the question, mm. the problem is, is me, right? I have to, in some ways, start with myself and, and, and take a deep look inside and start to ask the question, you know, what has God created me for? What's my mission? And how can I participate, um, you know, in that in a meaningful way? And uh, we're excited to be able to sort of, you know, I really, I, mean, I tell people all the time, and this is true, we wrote the book for ourselves. I mean, Mm-hmm. You know, Tom first got the idea, he walked out of confession and heard those beautiful words we all hear, you know, go and sin no more. Right. And he thought to himself, how am I going to do that? And he actually <laughs> called me up uh, shortly after this experience. And I had been working um, on a book on virtue and walking for the last 15 years students uh, through, through the virtues in a course uh, called uh, The Philosophy of Happiness. And I teach at the University of Mary uh, when I was there as both an associate professor and now as an adjunct professor. And, um, you know, and, and he called me up with this. And I said, yeah, I'm 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 right with you. Like, you know what? You know, so we just started we started having this conversation that extended into you know, really m- weeks and months of just sort of in some ways uh, a conversation among friends, among uh, fathers, and and brothers in arms so to speak that wanted to really grow in our own capacity to participate with god's plan for our lives and as we started to research and we started to ask the question what resources are out there um, we felt really convicted that that we wanted to put a a book together that would really help bring the wisdom of the last two thousand years of our faith to bear on this question of how am i called to participate in god's plan to become the person he's made me to be and uh, we don't claim to have anything new right in the book other Mm -hmm. than hopefully putting it in a convenient way for people to really be reintroduced to the reality of the battle. um, And then reintroduced to what we call the the four forgotten truths, you know, that God wants us to be happy. um, The Christian life takes work, grace builds upon nature and we can't do it alone. And Hmm. um, we felt that those things we needed to ourselves be reminded. Uh, You know, Tom jokes that, you know, uh, in Atlanta, um, you know, and, and I live just outside of Nashville and you know, we both live in some of the, the busiest cities, uh, in the nation, some of the fastest growing cities and man, you know, I hate to admit it, but I need virtue more than ever. Right? And so, uh, you know, a lot of what we've, what we've come to find as necessary for ourselves, we, um, we came you know, through and really writing and researching for this book.
0: It's interesting when you say that. And I saw that in the book as well. And I I, I join you both in that In that, I live in Chicago. Oh, yeah. And I was when I, when I was reading how you both have the opportunity to grow in patience when it comes to the traffic situations in both Nashville and Atlanta, I thought, oh, my gosh, but Chicago, I think it's its own thing. Because any and every highway around Chicago is uh, equally bad. And there's no such thing anymore. Well, you know, pre COVID, even we were saying for years, our family and friends, there's no such thing anymore in the Chicago area as rush hour, like morning at rush hour and evening rush hour. And if you try to avoid that, you can go like earlier or later. In both cases, it's kind of always bad. (laughs) And it's always really bad. And so you sometimes see the the weavers who weave their way through traffic. And I think, oh my gosh, is that an accident waiting to happen? And then you see the angry drivers and someone in your rear view mirror may be angry at you or maybe you're feeling that way about the person in front of you or someone who cut you off or whatever. So I, I thought, oh, who can't relate to that? And now during the pandemic year, it's not just the elections of 2020. Of course, you mentioned it, Ryan. This is of course pandemic year. And so it's a whole new thing for the whole world, the human race, to have to live through this, to be so helpless, to uh, now work at home and help your children learn at home in many cases, and to be with one's spouse at home under the same roof all the time when you're not used to that, and all these other things that so many people have realized have come to test them in many ways. So then as when I said the two parts of your title, the willpower advantage, the second part is building habits for lasting happiness. We've had to build new habits during the pandemic. So, um, your subtitle building habits for lasting happiness implies a change in our habits. And I thought this is interesting because most or nearly all of us to some degree have bad habits that we first need to break as we work on building new ones. And you note in the front of the book, my first thought, what you note is true, that that's daunting. And you admit, yeah, most readers will think that that's daunting, but we can, right? Um, We can get rid of the bad habits and build new ones, but that sounds like a long process.
1: It's funny that this year, in some ways you can describe it the year of virtue, just because we've all had to confront our own vices, right? And to the extent in which we we either overcame them or confronted them is, is probably to the extent in which we grew in virtue. But yes, yeah, certainly it is very daunting. You know, we have found um, really throughout the process, I mean, really our own experience with the work that we do um, and just in our in our own lives. I think many of us are very aware of our weaknesses, um, but we're not always aware of our strengths and we're very aware of where we're deficient, but we're not always aware of how those deficiencies are very often um you know, given to us by the Lord to, to improve and perfect our nature. And so, you know, a lot of the book attempts to look at the wisdom of the church and say, look, the reality is, is is we have some biological dispositions based off our temperament um, that we can, you know, that we have to work with, right? Some that will make certain virtues uh, be, you know, more easily habituated in our life. And some that will make it more of a struggle to, to actually grow in those virtues and overcome those vices that rob us of peace and joy, and so, you know, part of this entire year has been, I think, a real confrontation for many of us to recognize our, our weaknesses, but to, to you know, really sort of say at the same time, okay, what, what must I do to participate in a creative way and a meaningful way to overcome these vices that really do drain us. And it's amazing because God in his providence, you know, if, if we pray for patience, he doesn't infuse us with patience. He puts us in the longest line, right? He puts oh, us in the right. slowest lane of traffic. That is true. Uh, you know, this is his preferred method because it, it, it allows us then to actually conform our will and align them with his. And that's the entire you know, mission of the Christian life, right, is to align our will uh, with the Father's will for us. And um, you know to be reminded of that in such a dramatic way this year, I think is really important. And th- there is good news because the good news is, is God you know, wants us to discover our mission in life. God is rooting for us. God has given us everything we need. To participate with this grace to to build these sort of you know, natural uh, you know virtue muscles and you know it's just a matter of in some ways being intentional about it and understanding who we are how he made us and entering into it and I think that's that's probably the, the biggest challenge you know we very early on um, in this process you know, Tom and I both reflected on uh, on the great quote from Coach Bear Bryant where he says you know everyone has the will to win it's the will to prepare to win. It's not just a matter of saying I want to overcome that. It's a matter of really entering in and doing the work necessary to build the habits. And we we you know instinctively understand this when it comes to music or athletics, right? I don't expect to pick up a violin and somehow. Be infused with the supernatural ability to play it, though that is a possibility. But that has <laughs> never happened to me. Rather, God wants me to participate and and practice the long hours and and have the the blisters on my finger until they're properly callous and so on and so forth. And we know this to be true, and it, it's true in both the you know the things that annoy us the most about our own our own vices uh, and the things that that probably are most important that we would overcome to you know, become the mother and fathers that our children need or the husband and wife or spouses need and really what our communities and churches need right now, which is people who really know who they are and who are able to participate in a meaningful way with God's plan to, to grow in virtue and, and really to become happy. Um, you mm-hmm. know, I think I, I can't tell you how many people that that that's really that's part of the good news is that God really does want us to be happy.
0: And so many people aren't. Uh, there have been abundant articles that I've seen, even if across secular media, not just Catholic media and both and and Christian media. But there, there has been much coverage of how in this pandemic year, there is there is an increase in what was already a, an epidemic level of depression. And then there's an increase in loneliness, even if whether people are alone, truly. In wherever they're locked down, shut in, or just you know quarantining, or whatever they're doing, uh, or they're, they're with others but feeling very lonely because their situation is so changed and so out of control. So seeking how many how many people are are truly happy? Your book helps us reset, and as you say in it, reboot. reboot uh, according to these things, finding the virtues, finding the happiness. You brought up temperament, and I wanted to, to get to that because throughout the book, you and your co-author T- uh, Tom Peterson. Talk about the role a person's temperament plays in their happiness and how they even identify that in themselves. You talk about that throughout the book and people's ability to change or fortify that, Ryan. Early on, you provide a spiritual audit and you address that. You talk about what we all know to be the personality type test. Many people have taken that. You say, the spiritual audit is not that. What is it? Yeah,
1: you know, we we felt very early on it was important to to give you know our, our readers and, and ourselves too, and we went through this process a better understanding and a firmer grasp of our own nature. Right, God doesn't want to destroy who we are, God wants to you know help us become who we are. And so the reality is, our biology, the way that we've been made, matters. And you know, uh, classically throughout history, there's been these four temperaments, these four natural dispositions that have been reflected upon. Um, that give us a good sort of solid philosophical basis to sort of understand some natural habits that come to us. And so in the spiritual audit, what we do is, is we, we seek to help a person determine uh, their basic temperament and the temperament combo. And, you know, we just use classical philosophy uh, to sort of walk through this. And we sort of do it in, in a way that we hope is easy and accessible, but without lacking any of the depth. And you know, people who are motivated by action are typically choleric people who are motivated by you know, people in relationships like myself are typically sanguine people who are motivated by ideas are typically melancholic and people, people who are motivated by peace and harmony and organization are, are typically phlegmatic. And. You know, for most of us, we'll have one or two of those with one being dominant. So most people are either, you know, like myself, for example, you know, I'm I'm sanguine phlegmatic. I'm highly sanguine, but I'm also very phlegmatic. And there's particular advantages and strengths and weaknesses for each of these temperaments. And so once we've sort of, you know, that beautiful line ascribed to St. Augustine, know yourself and your faults and thus live, you know, we want the spiritual audit up front uh, because we want a person to know who they are. Mm -hmm. So as they walk through the 13 virtues that we outline that for each of those virtues, we describe then, hey, if you're, you know, if you're like me, if you're a sanguine phlegmatic, here's what you need to know about your own natural temperament in its ability to partner with or struggle with that particular virtue. Um, and so, we, we, in some ways, we built off the work of Alex Havard, um, who does this for the, the cardinal yeah. virtues uh, yeah. in the Virtues Leadership Institute. And, and we extend that then to, to all the 13 virtues that we walk through. And for each of the virtues, and we also give, uh, you know, the biblical description of the virtue, uh, we give, you know, some really some practical advice for building what we call that spiritual muscle in your life. And so the spiritual law provides really just a context and to know yourself better and to honestly evaluate, Hey, what, what virtues do I need? What, what strengths and weaknesses come naturally to my temperament and, and what am I going to do about it? And I think that that last question we bring up very early on, which is you know, what would the world look like if we took this activity seriously, if if we really you know, cared as much about how well we're fulfilling God's mission for us, as much as we cared about, you know, how much, you know, our, our boss cared for the work we do, or, you know, whatever other category that might as important as it might be, doesn't ultimately define um, who we are. And so, you know, this, what am I going to do about it is, is sort of hopefully the next step of the spiritual audit. And we hope that it gives people a context to think about it um, and to begin, you know, sort of their action plan, right? To come up with the ways in which to grow in those virtues that is really grace building upon nature that participates with their temperament, that participates with forming their will so they can choose. Their will is free to choose what's what's good, beautiful, and true. Those things that will ultimately lead to happiness.
0: It, it, the, the, these are so important. And I love listening to you flesh out the book uh, as, one, as the co-author co- 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 of it. And talk about why you wrote what you wrote, what the importance of what you wrote. And early on, you, you encourage your readers before you even draw them into the spiritual audit with you, you can yes This is the encouragement after you. I think it was after you bring up coaches advice. You know, everybody wants to win, but not everybody wants to do the preparation that it takes for that to, to prepare. You say we all have challenges we have to strive to overcome. And most are interior challenges. A lot of people blame others, right? But, you know, it's the Chesterton quote is the what's wrong with the world is me. So if we start with ourselves interior, well, gosh, what do I have to confront? That's what you're asking people to do, right? You say that those interior challenges are about how we see and understand ourselves, the world and our place in it. And facing our interior challenges is how conversion or turning towards God takes place. Some challenges are innate, you write, Ryan, a result of our temperament. There's that again. And it's not just again, it's throughout the whole book. And so this is really important, what you just talked about in the different personality types or the different temperament types, which is what we're dealing with here. I was looking at uh, a couple of these pages, which of these phrases would you use to describe yourself? And then you've got several of them here. And you, you want people to rank them one to four with one being the phase that describes you the most and so on. And when I read peace builder, go-getter, people person, deep thinker, what if a person says, because I was kind of thinking this, oh, I've always tried to be a peace builder, but I'm also kind of a people person, but I always really am a deep thinker. And I mean, so can you do that? Or are you being dishonest with yourself?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. You know, um, that the way I often describe this when I, when I do you know, either seminars on this or, or teach my students in classical philosophy you know, is, is, is the way to think about this is, is that temperament and our character is what leads to our personality, right? Temperament is the raw material. And then we have our character, the, our, our choices, our environment, our virtues, our struggles, our background in and, and both our temperament, our natural disposition and our character is what gives us our personality, the way that we behave and act in the world, the way we understand ourselves and our place in it. And so temperament then is just that natural inclination. So very often, you know, because we've we've lived full lives, because we've we've built in a lot of character, we've had a lot of opportunities to make choices. We might resonate with particular aspects of the various temperaments, but in truth, you know, typically uh, we'll have you know one or two of those, right? Just a natural disposition. So the way I often describe it uh, you know, is if you walk into a party, I'm, I'm sure she'll experience when you go into a failed party, right? <laughs> you go into a party and it's just not working. Uh, and it can be any party, but we've all seen this happen. Well, if you walk into that party and, and your instinct, your natural instinct, right? Um, that what comes naturally to you almost impulsively would be to take charge and solve the problem. You're probably choleric, right? You're probably motivated by action if you walk into that party and your immediate feeling is, Oh, I I need to, I need to connect people. And so you go start singing, you know, endless love karaoke, um, (laughs) you know, to, to unite people. You're probably sanguine, right. You're the fun, loving, quick, so on and so forth. If you walk into that party and and you immediately, you know, empathize with, with the the host and you want everyone to get along. and So you find the host and ask what happened and how you can help and what Mm -hmm. must, you know, what must be done to restore this party. You're probably phlegmatic. And if you just want to go grab a book and and watch people suffer <laughs> through the party and analyze what's happening, you're probably melancholic, probably motivated by ideas. So a lot of it's just what comes naturally to you. And then, mm. you know, our character of course is built upon that. So one of the the features of the book that I, so far of, of of really the thousands of people that have, have read it and, and responded back to us, the one of the parts that resonates with a lot of people is, is that temperament combo, right? Because very mm. often if you think of like a choleric, they're they're more quick to action. Um, and so too is a, a sanguine as opposed to a phlegmatic or a, a melancholic is a little slower, but a, a sanguine does not have perseverance where a choleric is both quick and sustained. Whereas a, a melancholic is is slow, but sustained, right? They can hold a grudge for a long time. They can think of something for a long time. And because you can't be both quick and slow, right? Um, certain temperament combos don't work out, right? You can't be both, for instance, choleric, um, and, and phlegmatic because you can't be both quick and slow. You can't be sanguine and melancholic because you can't be you know, both sustained you know, reaction to things and you know, ephemeral reaction to things. And, and this is philosophy that Western civilization is sort of built upon um, in some ways. And so for a lot of people, they love the fact that we've lined up essentially a temperament combo. And then with that temperament combo, the strengths and weaknesses that are part of it and the typical vices people struggle with and then the typical virtues that one needs to grow in. And so you leave that spiritual audit, hopefully with a better understanding of yourself. Again, just of your temperament, of that natural disposition. And we ask you very honestly, hey, which virtues do you have? Have you developed because of your character, because of your participation um, with God's plan for your life? And which ones do you still need to work on? Which vices have you overcome? Which ones do you still struggle with? And you know, the hope is that that section of the book provide somebody with some of the insight they need to then read through the virtues. And we even make the recommendation where we say, you know, there's 13 chapters on the virtues, go Mm -hmm. to the virtues that you need most start there Um, and, you know, and and receive some sort of background and some practical advice for how to apply them in your life. Um, and, And, you know, so a lot of what we want people to do is enter into that journey of self discovery, but to do so really with, with our hearts attuned to God's grace, and our hearts attuned to the truth that God wants us to be happy. God God wants to free us of, of the vices that you know offer us a false sense of security that really ultimately rob us of peace and steal our joy. And I think, and I, I, maybe I just speak for myself right now, but I think a lot of us feel like we live in a place that that's precisely what's happening. Mm-hmm. That much of our peace is robbed, much of our joy is robbed. And yet that, that shouldn't be the case for the Christian. The Christian should be somebody who is confident and and content in the Lord, even when things are really rough. I mean, we heard it the other day in the Daily Reading have learned to be content in all things, St. Paul tells us. And and that source of happiness is is not just because we know what comes in the world to come, but because we can participate in a real way with God's plan and mission for us in this world, even if it means suffering, even if it means challenges, because that we would know ultimately that we're participating in God's plan for, for us to become the person we are. And I think that's you know, one of the constant I think we repeat it you know over a dozen times in the book. God wants you to become the person he's made you to be. And the person he's made you to be is way better than you think you are. <laughs> so you wow. know that's the good news,
0: right? Well, it is the very good news because a lot of us just, if we are honest with ourselves, see, during the pandemic year and then during the elections of 2020, it's really been a rough year. And it's like, is it is it still 2020? I mean, many people are asking themselves, is like the time seems to have, a, I don't know, where time went. It, it's it's a time warp, and it seems to have compressed or whatever, or just elongated. I think April to April lasted three years, and it just felt like that. And and now the elections actually was not election day or election night. It became the next day and. The next day, and so this is the way it's been. And speaking of that, as you just said, Brian, we're we're, we're becoming aware of our vices this year. And you, and you note in, in, early in the book many, and you wrote it probably not knowing we'd have this pandemic. And yet you point out that a lot of people, uh you know, are maybe aren't so willing to make sacrifices, and that's a hard thing. I'm glad you brought up Paul's uh, in the reading the other day, and uh, suffering, and in suffering is his strength uh, because he he's. You had so much of it but you say we're so busy daily work and demand overload and personal entertainment a lot of that probably is on social media that we people aren't so uh, ready, ready to um, to make sacrifices for faith and family and maybe again the binge watching the binge game binge game playing the social media checking every i don't know a few minutes stuff like that we've had to confront in this year so that's why this is this is a really important book for now. And you just pointed people to the fact that they can see in your table of contents, you want to point people to the 13 virtues and, and, and hone in on or zero in on identifying each person for themselves, which one or ones they want to go to that chapter and, and work on maybe at first or, or, or the most. And so just to tell people, Ryan, just to run down some really quick, compassion, prudence, justice, self-control courage, humility, obedience, generosity, honor, great heartedness, gratitude, wonder, and cooperation. And and these are, these are chapters, folks, that they, they give each one a chapter, each of these virtues a chapter. So is that an idea, Ryan, as you just said, find one of those, like you wanna be more obedient, more humble, that's got its own chapter, courage, courageous, gratitude. I think gratitude is just a marvelous, marvelous thing and can build other virtues if you have gratitude.
1: That's yes, absolutely right. I mean, the, what we hope is that after somebody sort of, you know, has a better understanding of, of who they are, and, and maybe if they already come with that understanding of the virtues they really want to grow in, that that these sort of 13 virtues will, will give them a context and, and in some ways provide a roadmap for them. And so if they really struggle with compassion, if they really struggle with humility or obedience or whatever it might be. You know, those chapters are meant to be sort of a short course using really the wisdom of of our faith, right? Using the wisdom of the saints to 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 look through that particular virtue and then provide some real honest understanding of of how the different temperaments will will either struggle or or live out that virtue. So that you would have some some real awareness of some of the challenges that might be built in uh, to the temperament you have or some of the strengths that might be built into the temperament you have. And then from there to start really reflecting on how you can take practical steps to, to grow in that virtue. And we, we anchor a lot of this in, in asking yourself the question, what would be different of my life if I lived this way? You know, what would be different in my life if I had, you know, you know, more magnanimity, if I was more great hearted, what would, what would change in my relationship with my children, with my family, with my friends, if I had more humility or empathy. Right. Um, and these are the things that I think we ought to think about. I mean, St. Paul tells us in his letter to Philippians, you know, when he talks about, you know, think on these things, right. Philippians 4:8 he talks about goodness and beauty and he uses the word virtue there, you know, things that are good, things that are that, that have meaning and depth. And so right now in this time of, of real tumult, I think it's, it's important for people to, to think on the things that really matter most in life. And, and much of that is about really discovering God's mission for yourself and becoming the person he made you to be. And not only do we have the book, we have other resources. You know, part of this book comes out of an apostolate called Amen, Alleluia. The only two words that are the same uh, throughout Christianity, throughout the world. I mean, you can oh. be in Singapore and you'll hear Amen, Alleluia when you go to mass. You can, you know, be in, in you know, United Arab Emirates and hear Amen, Alleluia. It's the same in every language. So oh. AmenAlleluia.org um, is sort of this international worldwide apostolate that we have other resources there that, that you know, come and complement the willpower advantage. So we even have a, a, a online version of the spiritual audit with some additional resources okay. um, online. So we hope people read the book and use this as an anchor point, but that there'll be other resources that we're developing through Amen, Amen Alleluia. And we really want um, first for ourselves um, mm-hmm. and then for all the readers of the book is just to take you know, those, those first practical steps towards you know, really becoming the person God wants you to be. And we're convinced. And I think every Christian should be, every person of goodwill should be convinced that if we were the person that God wanted us to be, if we were the person God created us to be, we would be exactly what our families need, exactly right. what our community needs, exactly what our church needs, exactly what our nation needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and it starts with that, that deep look inside, it starts with our own interior life and developing that. Um, and yeah. it's all good news because God is for us, not against us. And God wants us right. to discover this. And God wants us to find the happiness that we all long for.
0: And, and we know that intellectually, I know I've, I've got to wrap up with you um, soon here. I know many people who want to talk with you, but I want to sort of wrap before doing that get to this, you know how often it's sort of a joke, uh, you know, Lord, please give me patience and I need it now. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's that I, mean, I ever since I was a little girl, I think my dad would joke about that a lot. Because, you know, maybe that that tells us, you know, I'm, I'm still too impatient, because I want it now. Well, same thing, Ryan, for uh, you know, being able to reach the world through broadcasting and as a journalist in print, you really, really, really want to help. well, yourself, you got to get yourself started, right, by uh, working on one's self. But make the difference. I mean, there's a, in politics they talk. You know, certain people in a certain in certain parts of a party are talking about the revolution. The revolution has begun. Or, you know, radicalism or something. There's nothing more radical than the gospel. I, I, back when he was Father Baron, now Bishop Baron, has long talked about the apostles going around. I think the Greek word is something like "dudamus," is going around, and it translates to dynamite. Yeah. Because that's what the gospel is. So you talk in here, and many people I have talked to in my friend world in, in, in Catholic media or in a Catholic hierarchy, some form of leadership out there in the Catholic world, and they're seen and followed on social media. We, I'm seeing it in other places, Ryan. I'm discerning it in my own prayer, and that is the need to talk more about Jesus Christ. I've said it to Catherine Jean Lopez on my show Time and again, and she agreed because we both feel that way. Many of our friends do. What does that look like in the world today, and how does your book play into that? Because we people we grow up in the church, Catholics, other Christians, grow up hearing everything you just said about God has a will for us. We want to be able to find that. We want to discern that, and then we want to go out and be that. And but what I what it's the give me patience now. It's uh, what will make people. Suddenly, what, what, what will make that like dynamite again? And what will make that message, Ryan, new, and and really motivate people?
1: You know, I think I often think back to the prodigal son, right? And if we remember the story, uh, it wasn't uh, an epiphany that brought him back home. He didn't he didn't stand up and think, "Oh my goodness, what have I done? I've I've wished my father ill. I've left my home. I've broken the law." No, he was motivated by hunger. And what's amazing is God can even work with that right? And so this simple desire mm-hmm. not awesome. to eat among the swine. And so I think for, for many of us as Christians, it's not a matter of, of, of judging what's wrong with the world. It's, it's looking at it with, with the same eyes as a father and saying, you know, many people are, are hungry. Many people need Jesus in their life. We all need Jesus in our life. And if we could recognize that so many people are lifting their heads up right now, so many people are looking toward the father's house, but they don't have a context necessarily to get there. Um, and, and we become that bridge. We, we become a, a third party in that story, so to speak, in which we can be the person there to, to lift the prodigal's head you know, up towards the father and accompany him on his way back home. And you know, that's the dynamite of the gospel. It's just good news that you know, God loves us just the way we are, yet way too much to leave us that way. So he's calling each and every one of us to conversion. He's calling each and every one of us to remember who we are made in his image and likeness and, and to help others. Um, encounter his love as well. And so I think, you know, I, I'm right with you. There's a real, um, you know, evangelical zeal that, that comes from this realization of how much we, we each personally need the Lord and we want to share him with others. And I'll tell you what, you know, our, our hope with this book, our hope with the entire apostle, Amen, Alleluia, is that, you know, people can find their peace in the only place they'll find it, Sheila, which is in relationship with our Lord. And, you know, we don't apologize for that. We don't back away from it. And first and foremost, we live it in our own lives because we know it to be true and it's a struggle. It's a challenge, but if we can, you know, if, if, if more Christians, if we lived our faith with great confidence in the Lord, with great seriousness about our own imperfections and brokenness and weakness, and we could be that light to others. Wow. Talk Mm -hmm. about the transformation of culture and we need it. And I, you know, I I really personally feel the devil has overplayed his hand. Um, you know, and and people are not going to settle for the the forfeit out there of freedom, the forfeit out there of love. Um, you know, people think licentation isn't freedom. People think that, you know, that self-gratification is love. It's not, and they know that deep down. And so I think there's a lot of people who are hungry. A lot of people who are like the prodigal son, you know, finding themselves hungry and wishing they were back in the father's home. And if mm. we can be part of reintroducing to that them to that, to the goodness of God and his plan for us, and if they see that in ourselves, um, in our own desire to live his will and align our will with his, wow, well, we can, we can change the world just as the church has done in every age, every generation. Um, and ours is no different. This is the perennial call of, of our faith, right? Uh, mm-hmm. To bring the good news of Christ's love and salvation to a world that desperately
0: needs it. And the world desperately needs it. The book is Amen, Alleluia, Ryan. Uh, That's right. <laughs> the book is The Willpower Advantage Building, Habits for Lasting Happiness. Ryan Hanning is the co-author, and uh, I love that. Amenalleluia.org, correct?
1: Correct, yeah, and .com as well. We, uh, it's international, so we've, we have .com as well.
0: Oh, good. Well, I, I'm going to point people to that again, but I, I love that you did that and that augments the book very well, but the book is is a great place to start, an important way to start, and you give people a lot of exercises in it to do, especially in the back. You backload it with a lot of work for people to do, but you know, I think it's exciting work. It's, a, it's a so, sort of a self-examination that people are led through by the two of you in this book, and again, I thank you for writing it and coming in and talking about it. Thanks, Ryan. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. Sheila. I appreciate it. That's all for now. It's great to spend time with you. Thanks for tuning in. I ask you to share the link and invite others to join us here in the forum.